it's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is the best place to get the best quality, highest quality running gear that you can get. They are working with all the top brands and they send you out a box of curated running goodies right to your home. Four to six items that you're sure to love. And that's the best part. If you don't love them, you just send them right back and you only pay for the objects that you kept. This is not a subscription service. You get a box whenever you want it. And you really can't lose. I love this stuff, and I know you will too. Go to mercurymile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save $10. So this episode is with Jenny Donnelly. Jenny is a former Ivy League runner who is, you know, obviously, you know, someone who runs for four years at Division One school, is super fast. But that's not why we had this conversation. She recently did a 155-mile, three-day, I'm sorry, five-day stage race. Uh, It really doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. Either way, and actually climbed 30,000 feet of elevation down in New Zealand. This race is nuts, and I couldn't wait to talk to her about it. Besides that, we touch on a lot of other topics that I know a lot of people are affected by, specifically race anxiety. We touch a lot about that as well and what she has plans for in the future. But I love talking about this New Zealand race. It really is something else. And I know that you're going to get a kick out of it too. But before we get into it, I do want to say and give a shout out to my friends over at TuneUp CBD. Is your recovery holding you back from taking it to the next level as an athlete? I know it certainly can for me. That's why I take TuneUp CBD oil Every morning, they have two different objects. Um, objects. They have two different options. Whew, lost it there for a second. They have two different options. I take the oil uh, orally, and they also have a balm that you can put on any muscles, joints, or ligaments as well. I know friends who use that instead of Advil. They really like it a lot, and I think you will like it too. So, what you can do is head over to TuneUp CBD. Dot com and get a great deal by using code RAMBLING to save 10% at checkout. This is high-quality stuff. It's all third-party tested and potency guaranteed. That's TuneUpCBD.com. Now, here is my conversation with Jenny Donnelly. Hey, everybody. One last thing before we get into my conversation with Jenny. Unfortunately, some of the audio got a little tangled and we were unable to completely untangle it. So you'll hear at points, it sounds like Jenny is cutting me off after I ask a question. That is not actually happening in real time. That's just how the audio was um, recorded. So bear with us. I think the audio is just fine. I think you'll have no problems understanding Jenny and her remarkable story. But I do want to just give you a heads up in case you notice it. Thank you, and enjoy our conversation. Hello, Jenny, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. Hi, Matt. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. First of all, thank you for messaging me. This is this is why I love social media, man, because you are one heck of a runner. You ran at Yale. You kicked butt. But I wasn't aware 
of your running story. You sent me a little note, and I'm so <laughs> glad you did. I'm like saying, like, how do I not know who Jennifer Donnelly is? Like, she's kicking butt, man. And I actually like put out a little thing on Instagram about ten minutes ago. Like, hey, I'm about to talk to Jenny Don, and I got like a bunch of notes. Like, hey, that's awesome, man. I can't wait to hear that episode. She kicks butt. So, like. Yeah, and a lot of people know about you, so I'm sorry for sleeping. I'm sorry for sleeping on what Jennifer Donnelly was up to. No, I'm pumped. I'm a big fan, and actually, in my multiple marathon race, I listened to a lot of your episodes, uh, and they got me through, so I'm I'm super pumped to be on the show. There you go. So you're you're talking about this amazing race that you did. I mean, my goodness. Let's just go into the name of it. It was the, I have right here, Racing the Planet New Uh, Zealand. So they're also known as the Four Desert Series, and then they do one roaming race a year, which was New Zealand this year. Cool. So as a a former Ivy Leaguer, how did you feel about the contradiction in the name of Racing the Planet slash New Zealand? You weren't exactly running around the planet. (laughs) Did that bother you? As a wordsmith, that and the fact that most people know it is the four desert series, and we were not running in a desert, which took a bit of uh, explaining. But as soon as you just kind of say what you're doing, people gloss right over that fact. (laughs) The the pictures, and I saw some of them that you posted, were absolutely stunning. And the first thing for me, and I'm not the biggest fan of this series, but the first thing that came to my mind was the Lord of the Rings series, which I thought was. Was um, it was, was shot in New which Zealand? I have to admit, I've never seen, but everyone keeps telling me that now I have to watch it. <laughs> see that? See, you should. You could have done race prep. I really by should watching have. Lord of it the probably Rose. would have been useful to know what I was getting into. There you go. Be like, all right, all right, Liv Tyler, get off the screen. <laughs> I need some more landscape shots. So I need to be able to plan my, you know, my my fourth. Yeah, it, it would have been useful research to be honest to watch that. There you go. All right. So we're, we're going to talk about this race. I can't get into, I can't wait to get into it, but I also want to lay the groundwork because it's not as if you were this experienced ultra marathoner who was like, Hey man, I can't wait to do this 155 mile stage race with your boyfriend miles, which, you know, it, that's, I mean, that's an unbelievable thing. I mean, 155 mile stage race. I know over technically six days, really but five, really five yeah. days. Um, which is like, oh my god, <laughs> it really is remarkable. But this this kind of came out of nowhere when you look at like your race career. Like you were not this experienced ultra marathoner. So let's go back. Let's go back in time. Um, you know, you you ran in college. Was that always part of the plan? Did you always? Yeah. Want to run so in I college? found running in high school. Um, I was a bit of an awkward, tiny kid, and I actually was brought into running by my high school coach, who was an ultra marathoner. He does hundred mile races, fifty mile races, um, and so he had a really unique approach to running. He would uh, our favorite days where he would take us out in the woods and let us take iPods and just roam free. So that was part of his training approach. Um, so he really helped me fall in love with the sport. Uh, and kind of, I was somewhat newer to the game, um, and we didn't have track at my school. So he ramped me up quickly and then, uh, was really lucky to get recruited to Yale, which was a dream. Um, and then, so a transition to running there all four years. So let's, let's go back to the high school for a second there. What did you say ramped you up quickly? Do you mean in terms of mileage or just, uh, just exposure to the sport? My mileage was pretty low, but I joined freshman year. I will never forget. My cousin tried to take me on a three mile run and I cried the whole last mile with like emo music blasting in my ears being like, I am done. I'm never doing the sport. I'm going back to soccer. Um, so just like getting me to complete a 5k and then getting me to be more competitive and really kind of pushing me to find not necessarily that higher mileage, but the love for the sport and really why I wanted to be out there. 
And for you, that would have been a choice deciding between cross country and soccer. Oh, exactly. They're in the same yeah, season. it was. I had just joined a new school and the soccer team was uh, very good. And I thought the, you know, the only thing I really did well in soccer was run. I was terrified of the ball. Uh, so I thought I'd give it a try and I'm so happy I did. So what town I lived in the was suburbs this? outside of Boston. Uh, so this was at a small private school. What school is that? Noble and Greeno. Of course. Okay. Uh, so I, yeah. I live in Rhode Island, so I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. Um, okay. So I didn't know really they, track, uh, their spring sports season was so incredible that they just didn't want track to kind of, you know, take from other things. But I did run as a one person team my senior year. I lobbied really hard. I'd been injured that fall. And so I got a coach on board and ran, uh, as a one person nobles track team. <laughs> what? Okay. So what was that like going to meets? Like, do you have to, you have to like ride your bike? No, like, there's no it was team me van, and, obviously. um, the boys cross country coach very kindly allowed me to do it. And I wore their uniforms. I loved it. I like tried to see how many points I could score as this one person team. And to me, the whole outdoor track world was so new and kind of had nothing to lose. And I'd been injured all fall. So I thought it was great. I loved it. That is wonderful. So how many events would you sign up for? Because you could literally do anything you want. Yeah, they didn't let me score as a team in championships, um, which was unfortunate uh, Mm -hmm. because it's like there's not that many people there. So as a one-person team, you actually could do quite well, even if you're not necessarily that fast. Um, But I I think I did four different – three or four different events in the championships. So which ones? The two-mile or – 3k uh 1500 and then i think i probably like did the 800 maybe the 400 but probably not i i've never been a speed fan jenny that is quite an afternoon <laughs> i loved it I mean, how, you must have really learned how to recover doing yeah those i mean races. i was still in high school then and running very low mileage so back then it was it was less a toll on your body i i quickly learned in college that you can be the big fish in um, high school and be a very, very small fish when you get to that league. So that was a bit more of a roller coaster ride. Right. So the Ivy League, while not elite in some sports, is very strong. Yes, very running. strong. So what was that experience like for you? So you ran, as you mentioned to me before, uh, before we got on the air, that you ran all three seasons, all four years, which is a huge toll um, and something that for any student athlete, it's very difficult to be able to manage an academic life a social life and an athletic life. And when I played basketball in college, my, our coach, I thought I had a really good saying, he goes, all right, there's three parts to your, your life in, in, uh, in college or university, you know, the academic, the social and the athletic, yep. and you can choose two. So what was your experience? Trying yeah, to balance I had a that? really, I would say I was very lucky. I had incredible teammates and incredible coach. I had a really challenging, uh, four years of running and pretty challenging relationship, I'd say, with how I felt about running. I started off my freshman year injured. Um, I don't think I ever got above 35, 40 miles a week in my career, and I never had probably more than two seasons um, back-to-back healthy. I struggled a lot with race anxiety and just kind of my relationship with running and self-worth and a lot of those things that college runners, when they kind of ramp up quickly, face. So I was lucky in that I found also a really good network outside of running, which on the one hand helped me get through a lot of that. But on the other hand, I constantly felt like I was being pulled in two directions and never kind of like fully applying myself um, to, to running. And, and I don't regret it. I kind of was able to branch out and it led me later down the road to kind of rediscovering my love for running and what works for me. But it was, it was definitely a challenging time for me, I would say. 
So how did your race, your race anxiety manifest itself? I would get just incredibly anxious. Um, and it's something I'd struggled a bit with in high school and, and really came to a head, I would say a year or two after college, where there were times where I just had full panic attacks in the middle of the race and stepped to the sideline and crying. And I just came to, I think, put so much value on what the time was and so much pressure just on myself uh, that it just kind of continued to build upon itself and just really made it not fun. Um, it just got to be more of a, like kind of a chore and, and a fear than what it originally was, which was something that I loved and made me feel like myself. So what about running kept you going back season after season after yeah. you know, while you were dealing I with this? I think I always knew that I had more potential in me and I loved the team. Um, and I loved the long runs getting out there on the weekend. Shockingly, New Haven has great trails. Um, and I never quite was able to perform the way I performed in practice. But I think I always knew that there was, if I could get over that mental part, that there was just more that I had out there and I wasn't ready to give up quite yet. Got it. So were you in the, so what, were you in the camp after graduating that was like, okay, I need to take a break from running or were you in the camp <laughs> of like, all right, college didn't go right for me and now it's a time for me to kind of reboot yeah and so try I think I have maybe too much of kind of a habit of trying to continue to prove something versus taking a little time to reset so I ran a marathon immediately after college um before I started work and I ran a 312 which I was very happy with um and then kind of kept going and I was working 80 hour weeks trying to run marathons and that's where it all just kind of came to a head um, so I did that for about two years and then so where, where, where were you working consulting in Boston? Okay. Okay. So you're working for one of the, yeah, the big so, consulting firms, you know, sleep five hours, get up, run along the river. And it was just, you know, burning the candles on both ends and, and just not the way that really at that age too, you should be approaching running or at any age. Right. And those, those firms are, they are just, it tough, was man. so, tough. you know, you said it like you were, and it's so pressurized. You have to prove yourself at a very early age to people who've been in business for a long, long time. Um, I think I love the way Adam Braun put it in Pencils of Promise, how he described working. I think he worked at Bain for, for two or three years. Uh, I thought he did a really good job of describing it, especially juxtaposing it with how he went into um, you know the not-for-profit world, which obviously for him was still very hard, but also very yeah. And I'm culture. actually reading the Passion Paradox right now, which I know a lot of people are fans of, and it it resonates with me so much from back in those days. So when you got started working consulting, was it because you had a drive to work in that field, or was it simply like you were just following the inertia of where you're? Yeah, I think at that you? point in my life, I really was kind of following what I thought was the next steps in life and not, I wasn't one to be super spontaneous or kind of draw outside the lines. I knew that I liked working hard and being efficient and didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So that seemed like the logical next step. Um, and that was just kind of how I lived my life. I would say at that point. So you said that you really got into running marathons and we're burning the candle at both ends. What was an average week like for you in terms of you know, you see, it already said mm -hmm. AR work week. How many miles were you putting in and what were you I sleeping? I was probably only running 45, 50 miles a week. Um, I really didn't get up until 60 until this last year of my life because I was just constantly in that cycle. Um, and then I was probably sleeping during the week, four to five hours a night. Then I would come home Friday, sleep for 12 hours um, and spend the weekend 
half sleeping, half working, and then running around that. Got it. And this was also when your anxiety was really yes. at its peak. Yeah. And I thought you know, in my mind, I, I thought that running was my outlet and that if I ran every morning, it would help. And when you're that tired, sleep is really the only thing that, that can help that, I think. Yeah. And it's funny because when you're in that zone, you don't realize how tired you are because there is no like, you know, you're, it's just like, it's like exactly. you're just underwater, right? Like a fish doesn't know it's wet. It just is living that way. And I feel like I've in that, been in that same situation before too, where I was sleeping basically five hours a night for like three years. And, you know, it wasn't every night, but maybe 90% mm-hmm. of the nights. And you don't realize how tired you are until like you are forced out of it by something. And then you're like, holy exactly. cow, how did yep. I not realize this? <laughs> so let's talk about some of these races that you competed in and how they may not have gone the way you necessarily wanted them to go or how well you mm-hmm. trained for them to go. Yeah. So I just kind of had a string of four or five marathons where sub three was this far reaching life goal that I just felt like I had to accomplish and trained for. And I would get into these races and five, 10 miles in, I would just start to feel so anxious that this pace didn't feel right. Um, and I would just end up running kind of huge positive splits and, each time ended with me feeling more defeated, less confident, but also more pressure to hit this goal. So it just kind of kept rebounding off itself. Um, and like I said, I just kind of forgot to why I was out there. I think if you don't enjoy the process, the time's not going to come. And were, were you correct in your assumptions that maybe you were going too hard, go out too hard? Or do you think you just self-sabotaged your way? to these? I think a lot sports? of it was self-sabotage. I think there were areas of training I could definitely have improved. Um, but so much of the sport, I think, is really mental. And that's not just the race, but the day-to-day of how you're approaching workouts, recovery, et cetera. If you're constantly making it so much pressure and self-value, then it's just going to – its you're not going to recover. You're not going to perform. Right. And so you're, you're a veteran of running. I mean, you a lot of the people you ran with in college, I'm assuming we're still running. You probably knew a lot of the people in the running community in New York, yeah. which is pretty tight-knit and also huge at the same time. Why did you feel in being – marathons as opposed <laughs> to other races as the focus especially considering it's not as if again 45 to 50 miles yeah. a week is nothing to be ashamed of i mean that's fine but i was but, but at the same time you also had these huge goals and i'm sure you knew plenty of people who were running maybe 50 percent mm-hmm. more miles than you were who were trying to achieve those goals and i'm sure you were aware of it so you know what, what was the, the long runs have always been my favorite uh which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but that's always been kind of where I felt like I was able to get in the groove and, and I'll never forget my coach at Yale who I loved. She pulled me aside one day and she was like, you know, I think your real opportunity is going to be in the half and the full marathon after college. And we just kind of, you know, need to see what works for you now in college, but that's really where, where your, your love and your opportunity is going to be. And that really stuck with me. Um, partly just because I was excited by it and partly because I felt like she, you know, really believed in me for there. And that was something that meant a lot to me. And I think that I constantly felt like I had that in the back of my head and I really just wanted to see if I could get there. Got it. It sounds like the hard part for you was like, (laughs) you also seem very goal oriented and hard driving. So it was like, if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to break three hours. It's an amazing accomplishment. But when you're in that cycle and that mindset, it's, it's hard to remind yourself of that. And it's also to get, it's also hard to get kind of, you know, recalibrated to 
you know, the, 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 not the correct mindset, but kind of like getting back to exactly, you know, a homeostasis point where, you know, you're back to you're living the life that you need to be living for long-term success. So what precipitated yes, it, that change for you? It was you kind get of back the most unexpected turn of events, I would say. Um, it ended up being kind of exactly what I needed. So about a little over three years ago now, I met uh, my now boyfriend and he uh, is someone who is an incredibly hard worker, but really about kind of living all facets of his life um, and kind of just seeing what's out there and really going after adventures. And so I met him and kind of thought, you know, he was something special. So I actually let myself, which was a big deal, uh, take about six months off from workouts. I ran when I wanted to. I did soul cycle. Um, and I just kind of without intending to or without being injured, just reset um, and then I decided I lived in New York now and I had heard great things about the New York city marathon. I had sworn off marathons by this point. Um, and I was like, why not? It sounds fun. Um, did kind of 40, 45 miles training only work out in a long run, um, and kind of re fell back in love with running as cliche as that sounds. And I ran a three Oh eight. So this is fall of 17. Um, and I loved it. I had the best time. New York city marathon is the most amazing race in the world. Um, and so I was kind of like rehooked from there, but just so much happier in life and had kind of this whole new focus to it. Um, and so just kind of took it from there. Now, what are some of the main reasons that this marathon felt so much different than the other ones, despite the fact yeah, that the race results really were aligned there with the no previous pressure. race results? Um, I hadn't kind of sacrificed so much of my life to put in this daily runs. I had taken time off. I have traveled. Um, and so I, I really went out there just to have fun and the crowds were amazing. I started out slower. Um, I loved central park. And so I just, I kind of felt good in that voice inside my head that was like, you're failing. You're already off goal. Wasn't there. And I just kind of like really celebrated the whole race in the way that New York is meant to be. That's interesting how you mentioned your your inner voice there. Is that something that is always self-critical in all areas of life? Or is that mostly in regards to your running or mostly like in regards to just whatever you have, you know, mentally yeah, and emotionally connected kind of yourself to like certain I would goals? Say it's something I've really worked on um, over the last few years. Uh, and shockingly moving to New York actually helped that because I think here, there are so many types of people and facets of life and ways to look at things. Um, but that was definitely something I think I, I grew up with all my life. And I come from an amazing family who's all very goal-oriented. Um, my mom runs two marathons a year. My sister is an incredible athlete. My dad does master swimming. So I grew up in a family that just kind of loved exercise and racing and goals. And so kind of just had that mindset from, from as long as I can remember. Now, going to an Ivy League school for somebody who is really goal oriented and somebody who's such a hard driver, again, you have to be, you have to kind of have that those qualities already to 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 get into a school like that. But once you're in that setting, what is that like in terms of being able to, mm -hmm. I guess, maintain again, ma maintain like a positive self image without comparing yourself to people who are in some ways a lot like you in terms of a need to achieve and a need to like compete against their peers in certain ways 
And, you know, it, a lot of this can be narrowed down to like, if you feel like there's a zero sum game out there, how can you mentally be okay with that? Knowing that, you know, there's the other people around you. Definitely. Are and I'd just say where that probably appeared the most was in running, because that is kind of hard, fast times, you know, your place, you know, your ranking. And so I would say I really amplified it there socially in, uh, in school, I would say I actually found, I took a step back from that mindset. Uh, everyone there is quite diverse and has very different backgrounds. And so I think I grew up in a place that was much more, lots of people, very similar to you, very similar tracks and can feel a bit more competitive versus at Yale. Everyone was like super curious, so different. Um, and so I actually found it just like fascinating meeting such different people and everyone kind of has slightly different tracks. Um, so I'd say it, it moved more towards, um, running pressure, I'd say than, than social in school. Got it. And so three years <laughs> ago at the, at the uh, Brooklyn half, you wrote that this, that, that this yes. race had left you, um, anxious and in tears. And then, this year, I did. You went out and ran a 120 21 for a half marathon PR. So, Jenny, tell me, yeah, what's different about you now that that you had in, in three short years? I'm sure they didn't feel short when you were living them, but in yeah, only three so years, you had such a monumental my shift. point. I stepped to the side of the road in tears, and then my teammates at the time ran by me and found me and pulled me back in and we're like, you're finishing this with us. Um, but that was really just kind of, you know, I knew I could run 13 miles and the fact that I was six miles in and crying was, I knew that I was in a headspace that was not, not where I wanted to be heading. Um, but this I'd say last fall, I joined central, pa- uh, central park track lab, which you recently had a, a guest on from Ron and Romano. I, I that's for sure. Of guys in the morning at five fifty AM. And it was, so different from anything that I've done in the past. They're um, mostly dads. They have kids. They have like these very kind of full lives into them. Running is really like an outlet and an escape. And I just started going to this, no pressure. Um, it would just kind of tag along. I didn't have to think. It was fun. I was still half asleep. Um, and I just started to see really big improvements. Um, and I, I broke three in the fall for the first time, which was this moment of I've hit all my goals kind of now what um and just kind of kept training and increased my mileage a bit and actually this this Brooklyn race I wasn't sure if I was going to run I had had some injuries coming off New Zealand um was feeling a little lazy about going to Brooklyn to pick up my bib and the night before decided I was going to go for it when um had had a glass of wine the night before like really tried to take all the pressure off and I went out I started conservative and just I I had so much fun Um, and it's, it's a factor of things. It's, um, you know, this training club, it's my boyfriend has really changed my outlook on life. The community in New York, I think have so many things that have just made me realize that if running's not fun, I'm not going to do it. Um, and that really at the end of the day is only the pressure you apply to yourself. You said a huge thing there. If running is not fun, you shouldn't be doing it. (laughs) And that was something that Ron and I spoke about uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's so true because it's, it can be so easy to fall in that trap of like, you know, you can't achieve something if you quit. And, you know, this whole idea of like, I love there's like this, this meme or I don't know, this graphic. I don't even know what to call it. I see it on social media, so I default to meme, but it might not be the right word. But it's like these two people who are like under the earth mining, like in parallel tracks. And one of them like gets to like the diamond pit in the mine. 
And the other one, like, gives up, like, a foot away, and he's, like, had already turned around and is sulking his way back out the mine. You basically say, like, see, if you just worked a little harder, you would have gotten there. And, Mm -hmm. again, that's not inherently incorrect. Exactly. But at the same time, it's so easy to fall in this trap of, like, I just need to do more, and then if I reach my goal, then I'll be happy, where... You know, it's just the opposite, right? I, I saw this great Wayne Dyer quote today, mm-hmm. which is like, happiness isn't the yeah, goal. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's the a path tough balance, to the right? Because that's my number one rule. If I'm not having fun, I'm not going to run. That being said, I think a lot of people could hear that and, and think, oh, well, those people, you know, clearly don't have to, you know, they don't have to work that hard or like that approach would never work for me. But I, it was the hardest I have trained mm-hmm. in my life. Um, but I was having so much fun doing it and I was training with people and sub three was no longer my goal. Um, I like really just focused on the day-to-day workouts, which if I, it sounds so simple and to say, I know it's a lot harder to do. Um, but it really was, it had to be fun, but at the same time, you know, you, you do work hard and, and that is part of like what I found fun too. Um, but it was really about the process that, that helped me get that goal. Yeah, because there's a fine line between like fighting through exactly. an uncomfortable workout, right? Or like working really hard. But yes, yes. Like, there's a fine line between that and being miserable <laughs> or like being beaten down by something or having a hobby exactly. turn into like getting through an my anxiety and learning that trying to find a way that the pain was fun, you know, embracing it, knowing it's going to come. If you're scared of it and miserable, it's going to make your life a lot harder. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, so you 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 break three in the fall. You're feeling great. You're feeling good. Yeah, I thought it was right done. Then. Hey, <laughs> what's my next goal? So when did this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, age twenty six, twenty seven, retired. Yeah. I've 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 gotten all I can get out of this game. All right, so so when did this crazy one hundred fifty five mile five day stage race yeah. th- 30,000 feet of elevation so, game. I will when did this, this idea controversy over this but this was entirely my boyfriend's idea for the record um this was actually over the summer we were he had been talking about this this has been a goal of his for probably 10 years uh, and he had talked about actually doing it over last summer and I was like you are insane you are not doing this like I just didn't get it I was like train for a, a fast marathon or a fast half um, do a one day 50. And, and he just kept trying to tell me about it. And I didn't understand. And then we're on this hike one day. It's beautiful. You know, you're at that point of the hike where you're not in pain yet. You're kind of zoned out and he brings it up. And I'm like looking at all this beautiful scenery and I'm like, you know, I'm going to be really jealous if, if you go and I don't, I, I, I'm in, we should sign up. We went home, signed up that night, next night, woke up and was like, what did I get myself into? So January 1st comes like the, yeah, the, I guess the New Year's resolution is already baked in at this point because now you know what's coming. So how does one train for a race like this? No, and also I should say it's not as if you gave up your I other did. races because um, you did half so marathon PR exactly in the lead up to this. Change my training that much? I think I did. We did one trail race out in San Francisco and maybe one other trail run, and then I did two runs with a backpack with just a few sweatshirts. So. We were the only city kids in this race, just to preface that. Um, everyone was from Ireland and Hong Kong and had been doing this amazing trail running. But I kind of had in my mindset, uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully that will work out. Uh, the biggest prep was actually in all the gear. Um, so it's self-supported, meaning the only thing they provide is a tent in the water. So you're bringing clothes, sleeping bag, food, as well as all these um, required supplies and 
we were really concerned about the fruit, the food. So what we ended up doing is buying probably 30 different types of freeze-dried meals. And we would start actually eating freeze-dried meals for dinner. We would joke that we were having like three course dinners of three different types. Um, so I'd say the biggest prep was actually on all the gear uh, and just getting ready on that side. All right. So there's two different things you're talking about with the eating as well. So there's, you're doing basically the, yeah, you you know, do- on average, you know, 31 miles a day over a huge peak. So you're going to be eating on the run, but you also have to have your meals at the normal eating times. So what yeah, was so you, the first four days for eating are on the run? Marathon, was and then like? the fifth day is a 50 miler. So, and you're required to bring at least 2000 calories a day, which is not very much, um, but everything you're bringing you carry. So we actually had looked at all of the like weight to calorie ratio um, and so made sure that we are bringing the lightest, most caloric things. So most days were oatmeal and peanut butter. Um, we'd have bars and goose, uh, Morton, and then peanut butter sandwiches or with tortillas on while we ran. Uh, we'd finish with a recovery shake and then have these like eight, 900 calorie freeze dried meals for dinner. Okay. How are these freeze dried meals? Cause just, just, just the, the term itself. It, it was like, pretty bad. I'd say the dry. chicken fajita, the stomach, uh, the Italian beef one was a bit hard to get down. Um, what I actually, I think the best meal that we did is took microwavable Annie's mac and cheese, bought a vacuum sealer and freeze dried that, uh, and had that for a few meals with hot water. Oh, so, so did you, so you right, can, so what, what did you freeze mostly it? Did you we make it ahead of time and then freeze-dry The packaging on that is really heavy and really bulky. So we poured the freeze-dried meals into a vacuum sealer and then vacuum seal that to save weight. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Now, all right, let's put on your consultant hat for a second. What, what, what does a freeze-dried meal industry need to do better? Because this doesn't sound great. And yeah. Even, you know, you're... You're very I think they just need to go a little simpler. I think so the far. mac and cheese route is, is probably the best um, and, and try to put less kind of vegetables and spices in there. I think trying to make it more like a delicate cuisine is is probably just making it a little harder on the stomach. All right, guys, like, <laughs> yeah. you're not fooling anybody. I don't this need is the not four-star quality. Let's, let's the, stop the, let's stop the action. All right, so let's talk about the size of the pack. Your <laughs> boyfriend looks like he's about a foot taller than you. So, so did you have equal, yes, equally, they check all equally your sized you packs and how much stuff. did they Mind weigh? Weighed, yeah. So you, you can't carry for a competitor. Oh. Um, but my weighing 22 pounds on day one uh, before water. So the nice thing is, is you eat your way through it by the fifth day, which is the 50 miler. It's definitely lighter. I had done two okay. runs. Now, have you, have you ever run West with Side backpack Ohio, on? Which is all pavement with two sweatshirts in it. So probably about three to five pounds. Oh my god! <laughs> in like the most pristine spot ever. In the Did morning. you run in the morning, in the morning or at night? In the morning, you can get a little icy over there. I've run on that in the morning and it just like ice dicey. skated my way. I up figured the, that up was the like West Side Highway and like immediately turned away. around. <laughs> not, not not much of an elevation gain though on the West Side Highway. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's talk about that part because thirty thousand feet elevation gain. To put that in perspective. Let the Leadville 100, which is known as one of the hardest ultra marathons out there, obviously that's 100 miles in one shot. That and it's a rotating course, and it's not the same every time. But that averages nine to twelve thousand feet of elevation gain. You did 155 mm-hmm. miles at thirty thousand feet of elevation gain, which is significantly steeper than <laughs> Leadville. 
here you are training in yeah, Manhattan. Yeah, I thought I was pretty prepared How for a lot of runs in Central Park. Uh, I was very wrong. Um, and I think the, the ascent is incredibly hard, but I think what is equally hard is actually the descent. Um, so I got great advice from a former, uh, racing the planet athlete before, and she said, run with the ground. So big ascents, you power hike, and then the downhills you run and the flats you run. Um, so the 50 mile day, for instance, had very little uphill. So I ran pretty much the entirety of that while some other days were more power hikes up and then, and then we ran the down. Um, but it's, it's incredible. Your legs really it's it's a new type of pain and you wake up every morning unable to walk just unclear about how you're you're possibly going to do another marathon but it's it's pretty incredible what the human body can do when you just start moving and start going um so we also use walking poles which are quite helpful and and actually quite fun to run with as well and then the mm-hmm. last thing before we get into the actual race itself yes is you mentioned before that it's a competition. What exactly is the comp, the, comp, the So uh, the competition, the competition is your total within time. This stage race. So what's really interesting about that is you can do great through days one through four, but then on the long march, which is the 50 mile day, you can, if you completely fall apart, you can lose your standing. Um, and so the long march was, I'd say the better of my days, uh, because it was a little more flat and a little more runnable. Um, to me, I really just wanted to finish. That was kind of the ultimate competition, but they do do um, the time as well to to rank everyone. All right, so, so you fly to New Zealand. You're ready to roll. What is the weather like? Uh, on, I love the heat, so I thought it was beautiful. It was one. probably 70, 80 degrees and sunny. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you're coming from New York in February. Not at all. So you're, so you're not, not acclimatized to this at all. Okay, so... First day, stage one, a, a nice, easy 26.6 miles, 7,000 yep. feet of elevation gain, 22-pound pack on your back. All right. let's. So when did this go from this is like such a cool uh, adventure to what am I doing? I had to carry my, my backpack here? from the hotel about mm, a half a mile to the orientation room, and I was in so much pain. And my shoulders were killing. And this is just walking on pavement to get to the orientation. And I just had this moment of, oh, my God, what are we doing? Um, Just could not understand why we were there. I think we both that night were just like, are we actually going to do this? Now, do you did you externalize? Did you say that to Miles? (laughs) Or did you have to keep that inside? Because that's a huge... Oh okay. yeah, because <laughs> that's then a huge thing to think at the start of like an adventure like I that. I could you not if you've seen the fire festival documentaries. That's what it was. The buses pull away, and it's just probably 10, 12 tents in the middle of nowhere. So let's talk about stage one. So you have a seven thousand foot elevation gain. What did this look like for you in terms of the mental, just, just the mental and emotional swings that went for this day one, knowing that, you know, <laughs> this was going to be the best you were yeah, going to so feel Yeah, so day one I did exactly what you were The, the entire to time. I was feeling good. And with about 10 miles to go, I was like, I think I was somewhere in the top 10 of the women. I was like, I know there are two women that are close. So I just took off. Um, with 10 miles to go, I was like, I want to see if I can catch them. And so I, I picked it up and I tried to run at a fairly good tempo and I finished, um, with a slightly pulled calf. And I was like, this is exactly what I told myself I would not do. So I'd say the, the exhilaration of that day definitely got to me. 
And were you, how quickly did you get, did you get used to the That was easier for me than the, the downhills. Uh, the, hills. Um, the downhills really killed my knees and my feet and gave me a lot of blisters. So I'm, I generally like uphills more than down anyways. Um, so I was okay at the uphills. I was really bad at the downhills. And yes. downhills running can be tricky on trails, no matter who you are and no matter what is going on. But even I'm assuming much more tricky when you're carrying a 22 pound pack on your shoulders that you almost never run with and barely ever even walk with. So what was the, what form did you have to employ to not only, (laughs) you know, make sure you didn't like eat it, but also making sure that you didn't like redness of your form so much that you're going to give yourself an injury. declines and gravel. And then the gravity of this pack is pulling you forward. Um, So I tried to really focus on little steps and leaning back. Um, And I I was just so scared of falling because that would just really put you out. So it was really leaning back, which is very counterintuitive because when you're road racing, you want to kind of lean into gravity and into the hill. So I just kind of tried to think of how to slow myself down, uh, which, which is a new, a new mindset for running downhill. Yeah. It's amazing seeing some of these mountain goats that can go downhill quickly. I did the under armor mountain series last Mm -hmm. year, last August, the race up in Killington, Vermont. And I was like scared to death going downhill. I swear to God, I went slower down that mountain (laughs) than up the mountain. I was like, I'm going to fall. I'm going to, I'm going to break my ankles. I, all this was like predetermined in my head and I'm seeing people go down. I swear at like three minute mile pace. Like they were like, it was almost like they were going down on skis. Literally they're flying. Like, how are they not like killing themselves? And did you have any of these experiences where people were just like, so um, used to that terrain that they had just a very different racing strategy than you did. Oh yes. The, the top guys are fairly competitive. I mean, they have it down to a science where they make toothbrushes out of, you know, tiny pieces of wood to remove weight. And they are very serious about it and flying the downhills, um, which was both fun and terrifying to watch. What did they do to cut weight? Oh, they, um, so there's a bunch of required things that you have to have. So they would like carve, they take toothbrushes made out of wood and then carve them down. So it's just the toothbrush head. So there's no handle. Oh my God. How much weight that, that like how much weight I did that we even cut? Good. We I had compasses that were like the size of a, a nickel um, or a quarter, but this was, this was a new level. That is insane. All right. So, all right, mm-hmm. so let's go, let's go to sleeping and recovering. So you're doing the, you know, this insane, daily again we're, we're talking about 30 miles averaging 30 miles a day but you're also you're camping so what was it like in terms of recovering you know each night and yeah let's so just, the first let's just start with the first there, night as an example uh probably around four or five p.m because these were these were long days you're not you're not running super fast um and we were lucky that this place had a lake because we had one outfit for seven days no showers uh, so we washed off in the lake, tried to kind of take an ice bath. We were really good about getting our recovery shakes in right away. Um, and then you eat at 6 p.m. And then it's this really weird feeling where you're so tired, but you don't really want to go to bed because you know as soon as you do, it's marathon morning all over again. So it's this really weird deja vu feeling. Um, and you're in a tent with six other people. So you're smelly you're gross there are people snoring um and so you just kind of curl up in your your sleeping bag and pass out and before you know it it's marathon morning again oh my god and when you wake up (laughs) is it 
is it just dread? Like, I can't even imagine. I'm sitting here like, I mean, granted, I didn't, I've never signed up for this race. So of course I'd want to, try, I'd be yes. dreading it. And but I can't, can't even imagine that barely feeling stand of like, up the, waking up and being like, oh my God, where am I? How am I going to get through this? Had you ever experienced no, the I would soreness, say, especially after the long um, march, other parts in your running career that you experienced on this trip? The tiniest bit, I was in excruciating pain. It, it was in, this is, you know, day five, but I imagine finishing the 50 mile stage and just throwing my hands in the air and crying of happiness. And I was so tired. I was not happy. I could not move. I couldn't sleep. Um, I have never been in that much pain in my life. Now, what preconceived notions did you have about yourself and your training and your body that, that you completely, yeah, I, think there are two things. I guess were completely I think one, shattered by what you accomplished I on this trip? I'm slightly injury or pretty injury prone runner. And, and my friends joked that when I went for runs with them the week before, they were like, you're acting as if you're saying goodbye to running with us for two years. So I was convinced I was going to be injured. And, and my boyfriend was really good about being like, just enjoy this. We'll deal with that when you get home. Um, so I, and I held up pretty well, which I was excited about, but more than that, I tend to think of myself as someone who can work very hard, but kind of be defeated easily. And I think that shows up in kind of my anxiety and, and races in the past. And what I learned about this race is I think everyone can be, um, a lot stronger than they think they can. And I just kind of focused on the goal and, and having, um, my boyfriend and I very much supporting each other. And I think it's, it's really kind of amazing what you can do when you just kind of like focus on it, you get up, you do it, you don't give yourself a choice. And so I think, I think I learned that I was definitely stronger than I thought. Um, I did cry once, which is when I found a quarter size blister on my foot and freaked out. Um, but apart from that, I was, I was pretty pleasantly surprised that I was able to, to hold through it. Yeah, it's amazing to think about what, you know, how far you'd come, coming from marathons or half marathons, where after six miles, and you you are, you know, a very fit person with a long history of running, that that would set you off and, you know, in in panic induced, you know, tears, (laughs) whereas a year starting the day four of this race, and you're like, I'm going to cross the 100 mile mark today. And, oh, no. and obviously it's not all, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns while you're out there. There must've been a lot of low points. So what got you through some of those low points really that maybe, you know, you weren't able to get through a couple of years ago. When you're focusing on supporting someone else, it takes your mind a little bit away from yourself. And I think, you know, this is the, the most like ideal example of shooting for the stars, but just the idea of Des and Shalane, right? Des helping and go to the bathroom and taking that mind off herself. It's, it's so true and can be applied in a lot of situations, focusing on my, my boyfriend actually got quite injured on day four. And I think us both trying to be strong for each other and no one wants to be the one to complain or break down. It really, it really got our mind off of it. Um, we also, we, our schedule was generally, we would talk for probably 10 miles. If we could, I would put on a podcast or two um, or three for the next kind of five to 10 miles. And then I put music on for the last five. Uh, and so that kind of got me in a rhythm as well of focusing on kind of like each new, like I knew that in five more miles, I would get something to listen to. And how did the scenery play a part? Because this is a beautiful area of the world. The pictures were was, idyllic. I mean, that was breathtaking. What, what was that you, like? You take a look just around. Moving in that not space. To just be so grateful to be in that moment. Um, in this kind of very weird twisted way and that you're, you kind of hate and love it in the same way. It's, it's probably what a lot of people have experienced in, in a marathon just for a much longer period of time. But 
it was absolutely stunning and, and hard to complain too much when you have that scenery around you. How amazing is Jenny Donnelly, right? I mean, what an amazing adventure. I loved recording this episode and hearing all about it. Thank you to Mercury Mile, as always, for sponsoring the Rambling Runner podcast. If you haven't checked them out, please do. Not only does it help the show, but it's going to help yourself. You're going to get great running gear, and you're not even going to have to leave your house to do it. What's better than that? So... With all of that being said, thank you so much for listening to the show, for rating it, for reviewing it, and for, most importantly, sharing it with your friends. That's the way that we get the word out there. And if you love the show, I really appreciate it when you do just that. And make sure to tag me when you do. Rambling underscore runner. I love interacting with people who are listening to the show. It really is one of the best parts about doing this gig. Also, if you're listening this far into the show, first of all, Thank you. But I want to announce something really quick. Not a full announcement, but we got some big, big, big things coming around the corner. A month from now, you're going to hear some very, very big news. So I just want to lay the groundwork for that. I'm really excited about it. And if you're listening to this much of the episode, I know you're a huge fan. And I want to tell you first. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.